Welcome and thank you for standing by. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the presentation, we will conduct the question and answer session. To ask a question, please press star and then 1. This call is being recorded. If you have any objections, you may disconnect at this point. Now I will turn the meeting over to Mr. Michael Oko. You may begin. Great. Thank you very much and welcome to this call. Good afternoon and good evening to those around the world. Uh, I am Michael Oko, the Communication Director here at the World Resources Institute. For those of you who are less familiar with us, we are a global research organization that focuses at the nexus of the environment, economy, and human development. We have about 750 staff and work in over 50 countries around the world. Um, <clears throat> today's announcement and everything you'll hear on the call are under embargo until tomorrow morning, uh, Thursday, February 1st at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. So again, uh, for reporters, that embargo is Thursday, February 1st at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and thank you for respecting the embargo. Um, today, we're going to hear from leading tech and mobility companies and city officials about how to create a sustainable and livable cities for the future. Um, we have over 15 companies that are signing on to the shared mobility principles for livable cities, and you will hear more about that shortly. Um, but uh, right before we hear um, opening remarks, we're going to hear opening remarks from a few speakers, and then we'll open the lines for, the que for your questions. Um, we are very fortunate to have a distinguished group of panelists this morning, and I'd like to introduce them now. First, we'll hear from Robin Chase, who's the co-founder of Zipcar and WRI board director, and she's the driving force behind this initiative. We'll then hear from Andrew Salzberg, who is the head of transportation and policy and research at Uber. We'll hear from Mayor Bill Peduto from Pittsburgh. We'll then hear from Clement Michelle, who's the international regional director at Keolis. We'll hear from Chris Martin, Vice President of International at Mobike, at Mobike, pardon me. And then we'll hear from Deputy Mayor Jean-Louis Misaka from Paris. Don't worry, I've asked each of the speakers to keep their comments very short so that we will hear from them and then we can open up to questions. We also have additional representatives of companies and NGOs who will join us during the Q&A session. So this call is being recorded. Um, so that you know we will have a follow-up available after the call if you'd like to listen to it again. And with that, I would like to turn it over to Robin Chase. Robin. Hi. I am so excited about this. I'm delighted to be here. This announcement's been about a year in the making. So I joke that the transportation is the center of the universe, but it's actually true. Transportation is the key to whether you can get a job or go to school or see your friends. Transportation is really a gate to opportunity, and cities have to be places where we want to live, work, and play. So right now, there's this enormous amount of disruption in the transportation sector, and the impending arrival of self-driving cars is only going to add to that chaos. Um, cities are seeking out and are swamped with advice, but there is so much noise. So last spring, I convened some of the world's leading NGOs on transport and urban development, and together, over a lot of months, we developed the Shared Mobility Principles for Livable Cities, and we announced them in October 2017. Our goal was to give cities and companies and civil society and people who live in cities a way to align around a common vision about where we want to go and how we get there. And you can read them. It's really short at sharedmobilityprinciples.org. Um, so since September, there's been a lot of interest and praise for the principles, and I'm thrilled to announce that tomorrow at 9 a.m., 15 of the world's leading transport and technology companies are throwing their support behind them. And so they're pledging to prioritize people over vehicles and to lower emissions, 
promote equity and encourage data sharing, among other goals. Um, the companies include, and alphabetically, um, Blablacar, CityMapper, Didi, Keolis, Limebike, Lyft, Mobike, Motivate, Ofo, Ola, Scoot, Networks, Transit, Uber, Via, and Zipcar. There's more signing on every day. Um, these 15 companies have had an incredible impact on how people live, and I'm really thrilled that they're in this. Um, together, they account for 77 million passenger trips per day worldwide and inform the travel decisions of another 10 million people every day. So it really matters that these companies are supporting the principles because over the half of the world's population lives in cities, and our city streets are getting increasingly congested and polluted, and we need innovation and technology and shared mobility to make them more livable. So these principles represent our aspirations. Each company is signing on to all of them. Some of them may seem obvious, like we should plan our cities and transportation infrastructure together, and we should prioritize people over cars, and we should put them But now that we've stated our shared goals, we can get there. So I feel like the trickier principles are transitioning to zero emission vehicles, moving to a system where everyone pays their fair share when they take up road space or induce congestion or pollute, the use of standard open data to create public benefits. There's a lot of talk about this, but the actual implementation is really difficult. Another challenging one is the last principle, number 10, that says when autonomous vehicles come to dense urban areas, they should only be in shared fleets. So as you can see, these companies have taken an incredibly bold step by supporting these principles, and I'm excited to see where this vision leads. All of these companies are already providing solutions that help cities achieve some of these principles and guiding us towards this livable, sustainable future we want. But there's a lot of work left to do. And just finally, I want to give an important thanks to Mayor Peduto of Pittsburgh and Jean-Louis Missicard, Deputy Mayor of Paris, who have been enormous champions of these principles since they were just a twinkle in my eye. And better, these two cities have been day by day executing on these principles, and there are role models leading the world um, around to give their cities residents great, sustainable, and livable cities. And I think I pass it now over to um, Andrew Salzberg of Uber. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Great. Yes, yeah. go ahead, Andrew. Thank you, Robin. Great. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, and thanks, Robin. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate uh, watching you work over the last year to put these together and, and uh, allowing us to join on. It's been really exciting. So. I'll be quick. It's no secret that personal cars spend uh, most of their life parked, and when they're moving, they uh, typically only have one person in them. There's an enormous inefficiency, I think, in the system that we've built into personal cars. That's been the lifeblood of our business model, trying to unlock some of that efficiency. But we also think there's huge benefit to teaming up with other companies and other actors in the space to help reduce the need for people to own and operate their own personal vehicles. In the long run, we think the, the power of combining the best of what public transportation can do and the best of what new technologies like rideshare can do can have a positive impact on cities. Uh, there's research out there that shows that you can reduce the number of vehicles required uh, to move the same population down by as much as 97%. Uh, we think that's not easy to do, but a mix of new technology and on-demand and shared rides, along with a whole host of uh, actors in the public transportation space, we can do that together. So we're incredibly excited to join forces with like-minded partners, including other ride-sharing companies in the space and on the call, like Lyft and GD and Ola and Via, uh, who we know share our goal in the long run, obviating the need for car ownership and making our transportation system safer, cleaner, and more efficient. So just to echo what our CEO recently said, you know, Uber, we believe technology on its own is not a solution for urban problems, but done right and in partnership with others, 
We believe shared mobility has the potential to contribute to a better world for all and better cities for all. And that's the reason we're so proud to support the shared mobility principles for livable cities uh, alongside our peers in the public and private sector. So thanks for being allowing me to be on the call and, and very excited to take questions. Great. <clears throat> Thank you so much, uh, a- Andrew. Um, and next we are going to hear from uh, Mayor Perduto from Pittsburgh. Thank you. I'll be brief. Um, To those that are on the line who are um, not familiar, uh, Pittsburgh not only is the home of Uber's uh, autonomous vehicle uh, in their partnership with Volvo, but we're also the home of Argo AI with Ford, uh, General Motors with Carnegie Mellon, Delphi with BMW, and Aurora with Volkswagen and Hyundai. So the ideas that are being promoted aren't about what will happen to cities in the future. They're about what is happening in cities today. And the future is upon us. And I want to take a moment to thank Robin Chase for basically providing guidelines because as this transformation is happening, we have to have proactive commitments in place that will benefit the entire community. We have seen opportunities before as transportation has evolved where areas have been redlined out or individuals have not had adequate access. And we understand that the 21st century economy is based upon not only the mobility of getting from point A to point B, but the social mobility of being able to move through economic times. And there could not be a more critical component as we're seeing this transformation in autonomous, shared, electric, connected vehicles than having different rules in place that will be able to provide us with the opportunity to make sure it's for all. That is what we want to build. That is what we are offering as an opportunity to use our public spaces to see this transformation occur, it is a component of equity. It is a component of lessening the impact on the environment. And it's a component of making sure that the mobility transformation we're going through is also a critical part of the social mobility of the people we serve. Great, thank you uh, so much, uh, Mayor Perduto. Uh, next, we're going to hear from Clement Michel of uh, Keolis. Clement. Good morning, afternoon, wherever you are. And we, we are really thankful for the opportunity and, and, and really proud to contribute and support the shared mobility principles uh, uh, efforts led by uh, Robin over the last uh, uh, more than a year. Um, Keolis provides uh, mass transit solutions uh, and, and intermodal uh, uh, solutions across the world in a, in a world that, uh, that meets uh, uh, rapid urbanization uh, demands. Uh, we, we provide the transportation backbone to, uh, to many cities, uh, and we operate through our, our main shelter, high-speed trains in, in France and in Europe, uh, trams, light rail, uh, uh, autonomous vehicles too. 
but uh, but we do this for a purpose and uh, and we do this for a greater goal and and we really want to uh, to contribute to cleaner mobility and a, a zero emission future um, uh, through uh, through working on integrated and uh, and seamless connectivity. So so we uh, we're here today to highlight the the, the principles uh, around leading the transitions toward a zero emission future and renewable energy. Uh, we are fully supportive of this and, uh, and working towards integration and, uh, and seamless connectivity. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity and, uh, and uh, go share mobility principles. <laughs> okay. A ringing endorsement. Thank you, uh, Clement. Uh, we have two more speakers. The next one we'll hear from is Chris Martin. Chris from Mobike. Hi there. Thank you. So, first of all, we're, we're wildly happy to be a part of the principles of shared mobility. And just to explain the, um, the recent change that um, Dr. Spike Share, led by Mobike, has, has made in the last two years, it's been absolutely phenomenal in the speed of which many cities have changed. When we launched in 2016, um, the cycling rates um, in many cities in, in the daily commute was 5% or below, and now it's 15% in the majority um, when we take an average across the cities where we've launched, and this isn't um, just us, this is including all the different um, companies that have also offered um, a similar service. And the, the principles uh, within the, princi um, within the um, shared mobility principles um, that are, are, are really important here, um, I think the integration with all the different forms of mobility that are emerging and that already exist is very, very important, and this is um, becomes a big part of the equity as well, meaning that we can have more and more accessible and more and more affordable ways for people to move from point A to point B. Um, Dr. Spike Sharing uh, primarily is the, the first and the last mile solution with many people making the whole trip as well. But um, for us um, specifically, if you look at the, the, the 4 million trips that we hit at peak in Beijing in a day, the majority are going to a bus or a subway station or from a bus and subway station, and it's really linking people um, that don't have the immediate quick trip or um, wouldn't have had a car in the past are able to make their trips much quicker, get to jobs much more quickly, get to school uh, much more con conveniently, and um, the number of trips in rideshare and uh, especially taxi and car has, has notably uh, decreased in this short time. And the transport gaps, which is someone that cannot get from their home or their office to a, uh, a public transport node within 15 minutes, has decreased so it's less than 1% in many of the mega cities where we now operate. The growth has gone from um, the several hundred cities in the world now with Dr. Spike share, and this is something that's wherever it exists has been able to fill all of the gaps incredibly agilely and um, with no extra investment from the local government. And then, right. <clears throat> oh, you can cut me off there, then I'm... If you want to make a quick closing thought, then I want to get to the next speaker, please. Um, the closing thought is that engaging with the stakeholders and engaging with the municipalities is incredibly important for any of this to work, and something that's been traditionally in the public sector, now for the um, independent private sector players to come in and form this partnership is something we're driving all the time. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, now we're going to go to our final speaker, uh, Deputy Mayor Jean-Louis Misaka from Paris. It's Misaka, not Misaka. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Pardon uh, my accent. Uh, okay. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I want to, to, to congratulate my friend Robin Chase for this uh, very uh, strong and uh, interesting initiative uh, uh, for the shared uh, mobilities, uh, mobility principles. Uh, uh, as you know, Paris uh, tried to lead the world toward a zero emission future, uh, and uh, Mayor Hidalgo, who is chairing the, the C40 uh, uh, Club of Cities uh, for Climate, uh, have, have launched in, uh, in 2017 with, with the mayors of uh, London, uh, Los Angeles, Copenhagen, Barcelona, Quito, uh, Vancouver, Mexico City, Milan, Seattle, Oakland, and, and Cape Town, uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the decision to commit to uh, get our streets fossil fuel free uh, by 2030. Uh, to transform our cities uh, for, for, for the better. Uh, in Paris, uh, we, we are working with all the stakeholders uh, to define the, the new rules of the game of the, of the mobility as a service uh, with uh, zero emission and connected vehicles and soon uh, self-driving uh, vehicles. And I think that uh, uh, the shared mobility principles help all the stakeholders understand their role uh, in building uh, more livable cities. Uh, these principles could help companies step up climate ambition and be a bridge uh, to commitments to clean miles. And uh, uh, using data uh, is essential to plan better and to respond uh, in real time to, to events. So uh, I want to highlight uh, two principles of the of the of this charter. Uh, the uh, number six will lead the transition towards a zero emission future and renewable energy. And the number eight, uh, we aim for public benefits via uh, open data. We think that uh, sharing data is a key factor. Uh, to uh, to have uh, not only a zero uh, emission future but a very efficient uh, uh, mobility as a as a service and a postcar uh, metropolis. Thank you. Great. Oh, great. Thank you so much for your comments and thank you to all of our uh, speakers. We'll now go to the uh, Q and A. Um, so, operator, would you like to let reporters uh, know how they can get into the queue? Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1. Please unmute your phone and record your name clearly when prompted. Your name is required to introduce your question. To cancel your request, press star 2. One moment, please, for the first question. Great. And while we're waiting for questions, I'll just let you know we do have additional uh, representatives from Blah Blah Car, Lyft, Motivate, Ofo, Scoot Networks, Transit, Via, Zipcar and representatives from the NGOs, Deborah Ross Center for Sustainable Cities, and ITDP on the line with us. Um, if you want to find the principles, they are at sharedmobilityprinciples.org. And two other reminders: one is that we are under embargo for this press call, so if you join late, the embargo time is Thursday, February 1st at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, please do direct your question to specific speakers, and also we'll ask people to please stay on topic today. So we'll be discussing issues around the principles and sustainable and liberal cities, and we'll ask reporters to focus on those topics today. <clears throat> Operator, do we have a question for our speakers? Our first question comes from the line of Christine Sulin. Your line is now open. If you could identify where your outlet you're with, that would be great. 
I'm sorry about that. Um, the question will come from Mr. Robert Berger. You may begin. <clears throat> yeah, hi. Um, I'm interested in uh, the point that says that you guys support autonomous vehicles in dense urban areas uh, only being operated in shared fleets. And I'm wondering if someone can Uber, from Uber or Lyft could reply to that or respond to that in terms of why is that important and does that mean that autonomous vehicles will not be able to be owned by you know, private people and operated uh, in dense urban areas if they're only going to be operated in fleets. Thanks so much. This Great. is Robin. Uh, can, I, yeah. can I take that question? Why don't you this come in Robin? and then we'll see you. Yeah, Robin, why don't you start, and then we'll see if a representative from Uber or Lyft would like to jump in as well. But, Robin, why don't you go ahead? Um, this is So this is Robin, and one of the challenges with um, with personal ownership of any kind of car is that people – think about the cost of the trip only as being the marginal cost, whereas when we're doing a shared form of transport, the cost of the trip is the full cost. One of the challenges around self-driving cars is that when you own them, the marginal cost of the trip is as little as 10 cents a mile. And so effectively, they become costless to run in our cities today. And so it's very important in dense metro areas where we have very dense populations and very little street space that we set a, a hurdle rate for using your car for deciding to take a trip. And as I said, when you're doing, using a shared vehicle, you are getting the entire full costs at each and every one of those bites rather than just looking at the marginal costs. Great. And Andrew, would you like to weigh in from Uber or we have uh, Joe? Uh, I think that's, that's, that's great. I have nothing to add to, to what Robin said. Uh, yeah, this is Joseph Opaki from Lyft. And um, uh, first of all, thank you again for the opportunity to have this discussion today. I think it's really important. Um, to answer the question, I mean, Lyft was, one of Lyft's founding principles was to reduce car ownership and to find an alternative to car ownership. Um, as was discussed earlier, we do believe that the biggest cause of uh, congestion and some of the emissions problems that we're seeing is the single occupancy vehicle trip. So, uh, this has been a, kind of a core part of our mission ever since our inception. Uh, it, has, it played a very significant part as we rolled out our current platform, and we definitely do envision a future where the vast majority of uh, autonomous vehicle rides will be done as, as part of a shared network. We think that the best way to realize all the benefits that an autonomous future can bring in terms of rebuilding our cities and shaping how we um, view cities, shaping how we invest in our cities, uh, can only be realized if we are really focusing on shared autonomous vehicle usage. Great. So, operators, all right. go to the next. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Next question, please, operator. Okay, sir. The next question comes from the line of Kristen Musulin. Your line is now open. Great. And again, if reporters could please identify what outlet you're from, that would be super helpful. Thanks. Hi, this is Kristen Musil with Smart Cities Dive. Um, and my question is surrounding the principle of supporting efficient use of vehicles, lanes, curbs, and land. Um, I guess this question is directed to Chris Martin of Mobike. I'm curious how the role of dockless bike share will play in this. Um, as we've seen in some cities, including DC and Seattle and Dallas, uh, dockless bikes have caused some issues with um, the land use and, and causing um, obstructions and lanes and curbs. And so I'm curious how uh, the evolution of dockless will um, work into this principle. Sure. Sure. So there's, um, there's a couple of things. I think the first thing is that the quantity of bikes 
in the city um, or a quantity of the dockless um, bike share companies' bikes in the city makes a really vast difference to this. When the quantity is, is controlled and it's agreed with the city and it's within a, um, a, a reasonable amount that works for the city and supplies demand and doesn't exceed it, the, the issues that you're talking about, they'll, they'll never be zero, but they're very, very low compared to, um, compared to many other places. If you consider um, people, people are used to seeing a city covered in cars, cars killing children and cars, running and you know, polluting and making noise and everything else. It's something everyone's become very, very used to having a city absolutely jam-packed with cars, but to have a, a couple of thousand bikes serving several million people is something just because it's, it's new, these very small issues um, um, and maybe seem, seem larger than they would be in the grand perspective of things. The other thing is that the usage, the utilization of the bikes affects us more and more. The more people that are using the bikes, it means the more people within that community are using them and also engaged in making sure they're in the right place. We see we have um, systems where people have moved the bike to the right place or reported it being broken or reported it to the operational staff with any other issues, but being reported and um, not reported, being incentivized within the app. There's a ton of things that can be done here, but the general trend is that having the right amount of bikes in the city, having a good operations team, and having higher and higher utilization for the bikes are being used rather than um, left, um, really means that these issues, um, when you consider the, the, the amount of value that's brought to the city, um, in terms of having these alternatives to, to, to cars and links up to different forms of transport, is is relatively is is, is small enough for it to be um, um, suitable within the larger scheme. Great, Great thank you. Hey, Chris, I wanted to see maybe if Justin from Zipcar wanted to weigh in on this uh, topic as well. Hey guys, this is Justin from Zipcar. Thanks for the opportunity to say a few words. Uh, first, I wanted to say thank you to Robin Chase, our co-founder, for organizing this great uh, call today. You know, Zipcar uh, today is 18 years old, uh, and you know, back when we were founded, there was no category for shared mobility. Uh, back then, as Robin might attest, they called this category crazy. <laughs> um, and today, uh, you know, what what we really understand is that the personally owned vehicle sits idle 95% of the time. And, you know, through the more efficient use of that asset in a shared network, we've enabled more consumers more and more to choose more sustainable mobility options that enable a low-car or car-free lifestyle. Um, and so as we, you know, uh, we enthusiastically joined onto these principles, it's really incremental towards a vision of a world where car sharers really do outnumber car owners in major cities worldwide. Can I add, this is Robin, can I add one statistic quickly to that? Um, sure. When we think about the use of street space, particularly parked cars, each shared car replaces 12 personal cars. So as Houston or Dallas or any city is thinking about the space taken up by any of these shared assets, personal cars, parked personal cars are taking up the majority of space on those streets. Great. Thanks, Robin. Uh, operator, should we go to the next question? One moment, please, for the next question. No more. The next question comes from the line of Karen Howe. Your line is now open. 
Hi, thank you. This is Karen Howe from Quartz. Um, and I ha actually have two questions. The first one is for Robin or anyone else who wants to weigh in. Um, it's just how are you going to evaluate your progress on each of these principles? Um, and then the second one is specifically for Lyft and Uber. Um, some studies have shown that ride hailing is currently decreasing the use of public transit in certain cities and increasing the number of car rides that wouldn't have happened previously. So around the second principle um, of making sure to prioritize public transit and uh, reduce congestion, how do you plan on counteracting the perverse effect that your services have currently um, been demonstrated to have? Great. Um, let me start with Robin. Yep, go ahead, Robin. Uh, let me just go quickly. How can we um, judge success? I would say we will judge it as a collection, as a collective, if we start shifting mode share from personal car ownership to these more sustainable and more space-efficient modes. And so Mobike gave some nice numbers in um, Beijing. And all of these modes require on all the other modes to be active and thriving. No one of these can act alone. So we need transit and shared bikes and shared cars and ride sharing and intra-city ride vehicles. All of those things are needed to replace personal cars in this more efficient and more sustainable way. So it's collectively as a group that I, I think we will be seeing measurable progress in cities. Great, and on the second question, um, Andrew or uh, yeah. Joe, would one of you like to take it? I can jump in and I'm happy to have Joe uh, follow on. I think the, uh, yeah, it's, a good, it's a good question. Sorry, I think the goal for us. Oops, sorry, just identify yourself again so people know. Oh, sorry, sorry. This is Andrew Salzberg from Uber. Um, I think the, the goal for us is to be a partner for public transportation. Uh, I'm here in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. We just announced a partnership with transit agencies here to figure out the future uh, of what public transport looks like. We really want to be continuing to do that all over the world. And the big picture context, right, if you look at a place like the U.S. right now, uh, transit moves about 2% of national uh, travel volumes on a national scale. Uh, ride share is sort of the 1% range. So overwhelmingly, people are driving themselves in cars. That's in the 80-plus percent, basically, in a country like the U.S. and other similar places. You know, the vast majority of travel is done by personal car. We think working together is actually a chance to unlock enormous amounts of value and move the shared mobility pie to a bigger share of the overall. And to your point about congestion, I think we really do support, and this really goes to the heart of the principles, if there are places where uh, there are plans on the table to limit congestion, we support those. We put out an ad in New York supporting congestion pricing. Many people on this call put out a letter jointly arguing for road pricing in New York to try and use and encourage the most efficient mode. So we both want to partner with transit to grow the shared mobility pie, and in places where there are rules around congestion and space-efficient use, um, that's exactly what we think the principles can do, and we support all rules that kind of follow that model. Uh, this is Jake Steele from Transit here, if I could just jump in. Um, uh, our app integrates all the different modes, uh, shared modes that get you around the city between public transit, bus, rail, car share, bike share, and ride hail in one place. Um, so, you know, we think we're uh, in a, a, the exact place to insist upon um, uh, the integrations of all these different services as the world is moving towards mobility as a service, you know, with a broad universe of, uh, of operating service providers, uh, we believe that openness needs to go beyond mass transit. Mass transit has done a fantastic job of providing apps like ours, high quality schedule and real-time information. Um, this needs to permeate the entire transportation sector. Consumers are demanding it uh, and our cities will benefit from it too. Uh, so, you know, in response, our perspective is that governments must insist upon true open data and platforms, not just usage data that allows cities to see after-the-fact patterns, but, but really real-time availability information and open payment platforms. Um, 
This will allow people to have the freedom to choose the best option for each trip across multiple modes and operators uh, right when they need it. So, you know, in terms of the actual principles that were listed, we're, we are particularly focused on uh, integration and seamless connectivity. Uh, and uh, even more importantly, we see open data and open platforms as the way to get there. Um, so this is the big reason why we're excited about uh, the shared mobility principles. Great. Thank you, Jake. From uh, Hi, this is Transit. Michael, may I chime in here on the question about evaluating progress on the principles? That's Joe yeah, from uh, uh, yeah. Joe, why don't you go ahead and just identify your uh, affiliation too? Okay. Um, so uh, uh, good, good morning. Um, I think just first of all, congratulating the companies and the mayors for their their step uh, on the question of evaluating progress on principles. Uh, you know, one of the, the key um, outcomes that I'd like to see from from these principles is is a, a change of narrative uh, today about the, the future of mobility and what uh, a lot of these new models and technologies are bringing to our cities and how we, we mitigate some of the negative externalities and how do we move to a bit more of a nuanced discussion around some of these trends. Um, but, but I do think that the principles are a, a very unique um, platform for coordination. Um, it, I think it's a rare opportunity for NGOs and cities and civil societies uh, to coordinate and collaborate, uh, you know, on questions that are facing us uh, about how we move towards cities that are more compact and connected and better coordinated. Thank you. Great. And just for the reporters, that was Joe Chada, who's the Director of Urban Innovation at the WRI Ross Center for Sustainable Cities based in India. So, uh, operator, let's go to the next question, please. Our next question comes from the line of David Welch. Your line is now open. Oh, yeah, thanks for uh, taking my question here. Um, you know, number 10 on your list also kind of jumped out at me. Are you kind of suggesting that uh, in, in dense urban areas that, that autonomous vehicles would almost be like an HOV lane kind of car where you had to have multi multiple people in the vehicle for it to, uh, to go into those areas? And then kind of as a follow-up on that, uh, if we do have a lot of shared vehicles in urban areas, is there a risk that they do cannibalize public transit and you actually end up with more traffic because – Let's face it, it'd be a better experience to be in a comfortable car than on a subway train. Um, this is Robin. Can I take part of that? Um, sure. Some, um, something that when we think about uh, shared autonomous vehicles, there are two types of sharing. So Zipcar is an example of shared cars. So you can take that shared car by yourself. You're just not parking it someplace on the street. You don't own it, but you are renting it for the minute, the hour, the day. There's also ride sharing, which does mean that inside the vehicle you will be sharing a trip. So this ex is an expression that we need these vehicles to be shared, and they can be shared either as car shared, or you can, so either you buy the whole car, you rent the whole car, or you're renting a seat in that car. That, that principle number 10 is going after both of those. And the second half of your question I've forgotten. I'll let someone else answer. Mm. Could this cannibalize public transit if you have oh, a yes. lot of um, Actually, I would like to answer this question. Um, it definitely could cannibalize public transportation. And one of the things that is very dear to my heart is the um, principle that says fair user fees across all modes. Right now, we do not charge a we, – we let a person drive their personal car during peak times in New York or in Paris causing, taking up a huge amount of space and making bus travel that is having 60 people on that bus um, very slow. That is not a fair user fee across all modes. 
So, yeah, I, it, I, I'm a selfish person, and for 50% more, I'm going to get out of the subway and I'm going to get into a shared car. Today, that is making rational sense because we are not charging the right amount for people to be using our scarce city resources. So we need to really make a fairness across all modes, which is not the case today. Est-ce que je peux prendre, may I take the, may I say something about this question? This is Jean-Louis Missica from the city of Paris. Please do, please yeah. jump in, Jean-Louis. Well, uh, I, I think this question is very important because the, the, the uh, uh, self-driving uh, vehicles are uh, making the, the cost uh, uh, of uh, uh, individual, individualized uh, vehicles uh, lower and uh, uh, the competition with uh, public uh, transit, public mass transportation uh, could be a very uh, a big disadvantage for the, for the cities. This is why uh, we need to design uh, the landscape of the, of the future of mobility and uh, why we need principles and uh, uh, rules uh, new rules uh, in order to uh, escape to, to, to a nightmare where uh, uh, public transportation uh, is uh, 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 going lower and uh, individual transportation is uh, going higher. In a, in a city like Paris, uh, the, the, the public space is uh, not big enough to have this kind of, uh, of shift. This is why we think that uh, it's totally uh, irresponsible uh, to imagine a future where uh, individual transportation will replace uh, collective and public uh, transportation and why we, we need to design a, a system of uh, intermodality in order to have a, a, a coherent and consistent relationship between uh, self-driving vehicles uh, for the last kilometer and, uh, and mass transit for the uh, bigger transportation. And uh, uh, this is also why the principles are interesting because uh, um, it's the first step uh, for designing these new uh, rules of the game. Thank you. Uh, this is Joseph Opaku from Lyft, and I'd love to jump in on this really quickly if I could. Um, you know, to answer the second part of the question about whether uh, the focus on shared rides is going to cannibalize the use of public transit, we uh, frankly strongly uh, disagree with that with that idea. Um, everything that we've seen so far is that um, the idea of shared rides and other uh, mobility as a service generally is very complementary to existing public transit options. Um, using San Francisco as an, exa as an example uh, to start off with, we see here uh, that around 20 to 25% of our rides either begins or ends near a major uh, transit uh, stop or station. And this is in a city where we have a very high utilization rate of our shared ride platform, LiftLine. Approximately 40% of our rides in the city are, uh, are shared rides. Um, this is, again, and after only being in existence for a few years, so we think that this trend is only likely to increase as these options become more available and more ubiquitous. So we've always seen public transportation and, uh, as being very compatible with the concepts outlined in the principles. Uh, and we, we see that trend growing as uh, consumers and passengers uh, feel, feel that they have more options to quickly and safely and cheaply reach those public transit options. Great. Thanks, Joe. Um, I think we'll go to the next question now. Operator, do you want to? Uh, and maybe operator, mind uh, the callers how, how they can get in the queue if they want to. Thanks. Okay. Once again, to ask a question, please press star one. You will be prompted to record your name and to withdraw your request. Press star two. We now have our next question. 
It's from Jack Stewart. Your line is now open. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I just have uh, a couple of questions. The first is really, um, how can you police and enforce these principles and make sure people are sticking to them if you put them in place? That's perhaps one for Jean-Louis or Bill, the mayors we have on the line. And then kind of a, a follow-up to that is the companies, you guys who are all signed on to this, are all very much sort of what we would call mobility and future-looking companies. How do you get the other companies, the, the car makers and, you know, the traditional transport providers to sign on to these same principles and appear on one of these calls next time? May I? Uh, you hear me? Yeah, and I was going to invite Mayor Peduto to come in too, but okay. uh, Jean-Louis, do you want to start? I'll go back on. Sorry, sorry, who was speaking? Hey, this is Jack Stewart from Wired Magazine. Right, right. No, I got that one. I, can, I, can, I can answer if uh, Mayor Peduto is not here. I'm, I am I'm here, but uh, I was waiting for your answer first. Okay. okay. Jean-Louis, do you want to start? Yeah, yeah, I can start if you want. Uh, okay. uh, uh, we, we, we have some, uh, we have already some tools uh, uh, in order to organize uh, uh, traffic and uh, uh, access to the city uh, in Paris. And I think that uh, other cities like uh, London have also uh, their own uh, tools and regulations. I think that we have regulations, for example, to, uh, uh, to create... Uh, 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 an environment uh, free of uh, 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 fossil fuel uh, by 2030. We have already announced uh, that we, uh, we, we, we will do that in, uh, in 2030 and uh, only uh, zero emission vehicles will be uh, authorized to enter the, the city. After that, uh, if we don't have now the, the tools of uh, regulation, we will ask the French uh, government and the French parliament uh, to vote laws in order to, to have these tools because uh, our uh, goal is uh, uh, mobility as a service uh, uh, for, for Paris uh, in the next uh, 20 or 30, uh, 30 years. And it means that uh, uh, private-owned vehicles will be forbidden in the city. So uh, uh, I, I'm not saying it will be easy. Uh, it's not already uh, very easy, but we think that uh, what we call post, postcard metropolis uh, is, is a goal of uh, uh, LC, uh, uh, LC city, uh, prosperous city, uh, attractive city, and livable cities for the citizens. And, uh, and this goal is, is a political one which is of uh, a very important uh, uh, stake for all the citizens of all the big, uh, the big cities uh, in, in the world. So uh, this is why uh, either we will use the regulations which are already in our hands, either we will ask the uh, Parliament uh, to build these new uh, tools of uh, regulation. Thank you. Um, this is Bill Peduto from Pittsburgh. The, the, um, the agreement that we're, we're going over is basically the foundation of the issues that we share in understanding the changes that are upon us. Um, the regulation is done, at least uh, in Pittsburgh, through the State Department of Transportation and the U.S. Department of Transportation 
What we have is an opportunity to work independently with the different uh, companies that are presently operating shared services and autonomous services and to be able to go through this agreement and work on more specificity of how they're going to be able to reach it. On the second part of it, um, we're at the very beginning of what is basically um, the next generation of sensors that will be a part of uh, our mobility system over the next decade. Working together with these companies, and this is where the connected part comes together, we'll be able to monitor and to be able to um, make sure that the goals are being met in ways that we're not even thinking about yet. Um, the, the combination between the data information that the companies are being able to gather uh, and, in addition, what the public sector will be able to provide will really help this industry to grow very rapidly. But that information sharing, which is a component of this, uh, is absolutely critical with the with the use of technology, be able to monitor and regulate. Great. Thanks. Hi, this is Andre from VA. Can I jump jump in here? Yeah, Andre, please go ahead. Now, just to build on the on the mayor's excellent comments, I think um, that with these principles, there's a very important role for government and for public policy. And um, uh, just to give you one example, Andrew from Uber mentioned this earlier, but I'll much of this group came together and sent a letter to uh, Governor Cuomo about his uh, impending congestion policy that, you know, said we should treat all vehicles fairly, whether they're privately owned, ride-sharing, or taxis, and also we should be uh, incentivizing pooled rides over single-passenger rides with our congestion and tax policy, and that's not something that's happening um, today, at least in the U.S., um, I think anywhere, and there's an important public policy thing that can happen in the short term. That not only helps uh, move people into shared modes today, but it helps uh, prepare for this shared autonomous vehicle uh, future that we describe in Principle 10. Great. And that was just for the reporters. That was Andre Greenwald, uh, VP for Public Policy at VIA. So thank you. Uh, let's go to the next question, please, operator. The next question comes from the line of Tracy Lindman. Your line is now open. Hi, uh, this is Tracy from Motherboard. I've got uh, two questions, and they're not necessarily pointed to anyone in particular, so I guess people can just jump in as they see fit. But the first one is, um, you know, it all makes sense that you're all participating in this, but what are you going to be doing above and beyond what you're already doing to actually act on these principles that you've set out? So question number one. Uh, and question number two is, can you talk a bit more about how this uh, open and shared data is actually going to help improve mobility and what, what about people's privacy concerns uh, that are going to be wrapped up in that? Hi, this is Bill Peduto from Pittsburgh again. So uh, part of our um, study that we did and in, in the information that we provided during the Smart City Challenge uh, provided the U.S. Department of Transportation with an idea how we can create uh, smart corridors and a spine system that would integrate uh, state-of-the-art traffic signals that are using real-time data and sensors in order to be able to improve the flow of traffic and make it safer uh, 
for all modes of transportation, whether you're driving, using public transit, walking, or a bicycle, or if you're a person with needs, but at the same time being able to increase that capability through smart sensors that are able to detect anything from the distance that a bike is away from a vehicle to the number of vehicles that are traveling on a given road and being able to manage traffic in a much better way. We've instituted the first phase of that, which is the tr smart traffic signalization, which has reduced idling time and has reduced um, traffic congestion by over 30%. It's also made those areas where we've instituted it much more uh, safe for, again, everybody who is utilizing it. It also has the effect on the environment because it reduces idling time to lower carbon emissions. We're now in the process of adding the sensor detection into these areas to be able to actually know how much carbon reduction is happening, where we have these rivers of carbon along these areas in the city. And being able to get to that next level where we're able to share the data with the vehicles that are on the street will not only help us to make more informed and better decisions, but it will allow that vehicle to see much beyond what LIDAR is showing it in being able to look at an entire grid system as a way that algorithms can reduce congestion in any urban area. In addition to that, we're adding solar-powered charging along these same corridors. We were able to receive $11 million under the Obama administration that was matched with $10 million from our governor, and we're in the first phases of the implementation of that plan now. The data sharing is absolutely critical to being able to make better informed decisions to be able to see those corridors become as efficient as they possibly can. Great. I, uh, may I say something about this, uh, this question of, uh, of data sharing? This is Jean-Louis yeah. Missica. Thank you, and, and then I'd also like to ask any of the companies who want to come on and, and respond to the above and beyond. Is, are, who's going to do something uh, new and different um, based on these principles? That would be great. But uh, please go ahead, uh, Jean-Louis. Oh, yeah, I, I want to say, I want to underline the fact that sharing data uh, is critical for the future of uh, mobility uh, in, uh, in big cities. Uh, because uh, data is the fuel of, uh, uh, of mobility uh, as a service. Uh, if uh, if uh, you have not an exchange between public and, uh, and private uh, uh, bodies uh, uh, on, on, their, on their data, uh, you, you will not have uh, 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 an optimized uh, management of the, uh, of the traffic and, uh, and uh, uh, the mobility uh, in the city. So I think that uh, this point is, uh, is very uh, critical. I think that uh, we, we, we have to discuss between uh, all the stakeholders, including uh, uh, the, the, the taxi companies and, of course, uh, 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 Uber and Lyft and, and, and other companies like this, uh, uh, the, the best way to have a vision, a global vision of how it works uh, in the future in order to create a platform which, which will be a, a general interest platform. Uh, uh, if you have competition on this uh, specific subject, uh, uh, you could have a mess 
uh, at the end of the day uh, on, uh, on, on the services of, uh, of mobility. Thank you. Uh, Clément from uh, Keolis. Great. Go ahead, Clément. Uh, uh, the question around, uh, around how are we going to use the things differently, the principles are actually really helping in the conversations. We have a, a relationship with uh, 500 cities around the world, um, and, uh, and now it's actually enabling a, a better conversation because this has been endorsed by the C40 cities and uh, lots of NGOs, now endorsed by, uh, uh, by mayors and, uh, and, and companies, and we say, like, we already share this. This is the basis of a conversation. And so when we are talking about uh, uh, land use and uh, uh, projects to, to increase mobility, we can talk about uh, uh, the efficient use of space and assets and, uh, and uh, the fair user fees and uh, uh, the benefits of open data. I can tell you that even uh, going coast to coast in the U.S., uh, there's still some debate around uh, whether uh, uh, companies and or uh, uh, public transport authorities are willing to share their, their data. And when we say, look, this group of people are actually uh, uh, focusing and supporting these initiatives, this, this uh, is actually accelerating the conversation. I am convinced about that. And the commitment that Keolis Group does is actually to use those principles in our conversation with uh, decision makers, uh, partners, uh, other private companies. This is Justin from Zipcar. Might I jump in for a brief moment? Yeah, let's take this as the last one on this uh, question, but go ahead, uh, Justin. Great, thank you. Just to answer the question about how we might go above and beyond on these principles, you know, our, our vision at Zipcar for the future of mobility will be defined largely through partnerships, and whether that's partnerships with the 500 cities and towns where we operate uh, or partnerships with many of, uh, you know, great auto manufacturers that we've partnered with for many years or other mobility companies, we think that the future mobility will be defined by a new, rich ecosystem of transportation providers. And, you know, what these principles really help us achieve, I think, is a common language and a common vision and a common understanding to really help us forge those partnerships. Again, whether they be multi-industry partnerships or uh, deeper, more lasting relationships with the cities where we already operate. So I think in terms of how we intend to use them, I really do think this gives us a common operating language and a really solid vision and foundation upon which we can build really rich and lasting partnerships um, to create a, a more robust uh, mobility ecosystem. Great, and uh, we're gonna go to our last couple questions here. I do wanna remind folks, if you do have follow-up questions, you can contact my colleague, Lauren Zellin, um, at WRI, and she can put you in touch with any of the uh, speakers on this call and the participants in the uh, principles. So, operator, I think we have time for just a couple more questions, so we'll try and move quickly through the last couple here. Okay. Our next question comes from the line of Matthew Flam. Your line is now open. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, one thing, uh, this is a very New York uh, <coughs> question. It, it's for uh, Uber and Lyft. I, I know you're supporting congestion pricing. That may not go through. Um, just wondering if you have any other plans for re reducing congestion, which you you know both play a significant part in. The other, the other, another question I have is just: Will this uh, pledge about data change anything for you? Because I know there have been you know certain battles with the uh, Taxi and Limousine Commission over supplying data. Will you be going beyond what you're already doing? And my last question. Uh, has to do with what's called local preemption. Uh, I think OFO is going through this right now in Florida. 
um, city of Miami and I think Key Biscayne set up some rules they wanted to have, uh, similar to what Austin did with Uber and Lyft. They, um, you know, Austin was over, they were overridden by it, by the state legislature. They could not, you know, they could not uh, adopt their own rules. I think uh, OFO has a uh, lobbyist now in Florida who's trying to uh, get a similar kind of uh, bill through the legislature there. If you're pledging to work with cities, how, how can you uh, then, you know, ask states to override the cities? So I know that's a lot, but if you, you okay, well, sure. Yeah, this is Joseph Apaku from Lyft, and uh, there are a few questions there, so I want to make sure that I that I, I get them right. So if I, if I miss sure. one, please feel free to restate it. Um, with respect to the first question about uh, congestion pricing in, in New York, I mean, yes, we are, you know, we, we understand the difficulty of getting this policy passed, but we are fully supportive of a robust and full and equitable approach towards congestion pricing. And, you know, to that point, you know, in order for that to be successful, it really does, it really does require that, it, you know, it's taken on head-on. Uh, half measures in this, in this respect will not accomplish the results that I think everyone on this call is hoping to see by, in terms of reducing uh, New York congestion. Question. Um, you know, with respect to the second point that you raised, if I have your points in order, um, I would push back a little bit on, uh, I guess, kind of the assumption in the question. Um, you know, I would actually point to a recent study by uh, the Rocky Mountain Institute, which really does talk about the reality in terms of the key causes of, con of urban congestion. And as a couple of people, including myself, have said earlier today, the number one cause, you know, full stop, is people driving alone in their own personal vehicle. And I think everyone on this call is uh, aligned into, into trying to find ways to give opportunities for people to give up that personal vehicle and to, you know, share rides and do so in a way as part of a robust, uh, you know, robust option of providers, whether they be, you know, ride share, whether they be autonomous vehicles or existing public transit options. So we believe just by virtue of, you know, the focus on our part on shared rides, both in the, in the current time and also in the future as part of AV is going to reduce uh, the congestion that we're currently seeing in urban centers. Um, I apologize. I forget. There was a third part to your question, and I missed it. There was a question about data uh, and then this, this local preemption. But also, I just want to say that's a New York City thing that, um, that you know, studies have found. It is, you know, that is the surge in uh, ride-sharing uh, vehicles into, into the, you know, central business district. That has sure, but and, and not to, not to – I'm sorry, not to cut you off. Uh, you know, I, I will mention that some of the studies that that I have looked at New York City specifically have have overlooked pretty key factors. Uh, for example, the the load rate of vehicles, which is actually kind of really really uh, interesting point because that's one of the subjects of this call. Meaning that it did not take a look at the number of passengers per vehicle. So if we're talking about shared rides again, whether on our current platforms or on an AV platform, that would be a very significant data point that was not really examined in the context of New York City, so I would point that out. Um, as for data, um, uh, you know, this is, it's, it is a tricky issue without a doubt. Uh, we, you know, we provide tons of data to tons of uh, regulators, whether the state or city level all over the country, wherever required by law, uh, including with the TLC. Um, there are extremely valid privacy concerns that have been outlined as part of these principles that I do think people need to be mindful of. Uh, anytime you share data, uh, that just the act of sharing it alone does add to the possibility of that data uh, ending up somewhere where it's not supposed to be. 
And given the fact that we're talking about transportation data and often, you know, actual geolocation data where you could possibly see some very sensitive information about where people are going, what their travel habits are. So there is a balance that needs to be struck, and I think that these principles are speaking to that very issue, that there is obviously a good bene a public benefit to the ability to get this data out there to our partners with cities, which we have done repeatedly all across the country. But we need to make sure that we're able to do so in a way that is protecting the very legitimate privacy interests of our consumers and making sure that their personal PII data and their travel history data is not uh, falling into the wrong hands. So I think that, that part of the commitment to for all the people on this call and all the people who have committed to these principles is to try to figure out ways to thread that needle going forward. Great. Thanks, Joe. Um, I think we're going to... Uh, May I answer then, that, Michael? Sorry. Yeah, on the, on, the, uh, on the question about the, uh, the bike-sharing legislation in, in Florida, this is Chris Taylor from, from OFO. Uh, just yeah, real briefly, um, yeah, so this, this falls under the first two principles, equity and prioritizing people. As, as Joe at Lyft and, and Andrew at, at Uber know, I think that ride sharing is ubiquitous in the United States because I think there's something like 47 states that have statewide regulations that allow for uh, consistent framework across the country of what ride sharing is. Uh, unfortunately, bike sharing is not in that, that place right now. Uh, only a few people have access to uh, dockless bike sharing in the United States. And so uh, with respect to the Florida legislation, uh, we look to work with cities as well as states in order to serve and prioritize people, ensure everyone has access to bike sharing. Right now, only a handful of people in uh, a few counties in the one of the largest states in the country, Florida, have access to bike sharing. And so uh, this legislation will allow everyone in the state of Florida to have access as quickly as possible. Great. Thank you uh, for that response. I think we're going to jump to the last uh, question here. So, um, operator. Uh, sir, at this time, I'm not showing any questions on queue. Okay. Well, in that case, I think we will uh, wrap up uh, today's call on behalf of uh, Robin Chase and um, all of the partners on the call. We greatly appreciate your participation, um, and we are extremely excited about these uh, new principles um, and your support of them. Again, they're available at sharedmobilityprinciples.org. Um, thank you all to the media for joining today, and that will conclude today's call. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That concludes today's conference. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.